And it wasn't illegal. It wasn't like it wasn't done in the, you know, on a parking garage, you know, un, under the in stealth mode with people with trench coats. They were doing it at the city council meeting. But there was no one there. This new world, the internet, that had all these great advantages. But this was the, this was a massive unintended consequence of the whole thing was the destruction of the business model for locals. Welcome to the Media Jungle Video Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Regeer, coming to you every week to break down the business behind the news industry, the future of media, and the creator economy. Subscribe to our Substack newsletter and YouTube channel, and don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, we appreciate your support. On this episode, I'm joined with Steve Waldman, a man on a mission to fix journalism, co-founder of Report for America, placing 300 young journalists in newsrooms to cover underreported stories, and also the founder of Rebuild Local News Coalition, representing over 3,000 locally owned and nonprofit news organizations across America. Steve, so glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a big topic. Local news matters. I know a lot of you guys are thinking, local news was never good and the newspapers look like teeny tiny little tabloids now. And it's true, but at least the politicians knew someone was watching. Now there's more than a thousand news deserts in America, meaning no reliable local news telling you where your tax money spent, who polluted the water, which politicians are lying. And there's so many studies that say a decline in local news increases corruption and wasteful spending. You get more radical politicians. They just watch the national news for talking points and the people vote less. They think their vote doesn't matter. The real news is still trapped behind a paywall and still 71% of Americans don't even know that their local news is disappearing. Well, now you know. Stay tuned. Steve, maybe you could give uh, us a little bit of uh, background and overview about the gravity of this crisis and uh, where you're seeing local news uh, solutions and and why you've sort of dedicated your life to this. Well, you had just a great summary and you're right. You know, most people, when you talk to them about, talk about like a collapse of local news, they look at you like, what are you talking about? Collapse of news? We got, I got, I'm flooded with news. There's news everywhere. You know, it doesn't feel like we're in a, uh, you know, shortage of news moment, but while there's an abundance of national news and social media, there is actually an extreme shortage of local reporting. And it's a just as a point of uh, comparison, there's been a 60, 60% drop in the number of reporters just in about 15 years. That's an incredibly sudden, dramatic contraction. And as you said, in addition to that, there are all these thousands of news deserts where there's nothing going on. And then there's another thousand, several thousand that are, uh, there's a term of art called ghost newspapers. And that's basically like newspaper, they're still publishing, there's still pieces of paper with words on them and websites, but the, the level of local coverage is, there's a study that showed that 17% of the articles in a local newspaper are local. And that just gives you a sense like, that's just, it's just evaporating in a lot of places. And as you said, 
corrupt, more corruption, lower voter turnout, higher taxes, more pollution. Like that's all true. That all is associated with what happens when you have less local news. So it's the vacuums are being filled and they're being filled by national media. That's more polarizing by social media, by misinformation. So it's all the, in other words, the collapse of local news is also connected to this other set of problems that I know you've talked about in other contexts of misinformation and polarization and things like that. Maybe you could give an example of something that like wouldn't be covered now that uh, would have been covered if local news was there and how that really could affect Americans. Whether the schools have decided to, you know, close a bunch of schools or spend less money on special education or or where the COVID uh, testing areas are or whether the mayor is actually doing what she said she was going to do. Um, th- you know, there's a famous example in California that is kind of an extreme version, but of in Be- Bell, California, where they, they there was a community, working class community that had no newspaper. And since no one was showing up at the city council meetings, they just kept voting themselves pay raises to the point where the city manager was getting paid $800,000 a year. And it wasn't illegal. It wasn't like it wasn't done in the, you know, on a parking garage, you know, un- under the in stealth mode with people with trench coats. They were doing it at the city council meeting. But there was no one there. So it just got, and we don't really know all the examples like that that are happening because there's no one there. So it's a little bit of a, like, we don't know what we don't know, but there's overwhelming evidence that from not just here, but around the world, that when you have this, it leads to more corruption, all the things you said. Why exactly that connection between voting and local news engagement. How does that, it's because people just get nihilistic and say, this is just complete trash. Like, why do I even care? Is that the kind of reason? That's a great, that's a great question. You know, I think some of it is even more pedestrian than that. It's just like, you don't hear about it. You don't hear about Mm -hmm. the election at all. There's nothing interesting or exciting about it because you don't even know it exists and you don't feel any investment. Or you may feel like, I don't know anything about any of these people. How, like, I don't even, wouldn't even know how to base my, my votes. That's one level. But I also think it's, it's what you said, is that there, there certainly are studies, and this feels intuitively right, that says when there's less local news, people in general feel more alienated from their communities. They just feel ineffective, like... I can't influence anything that that actually is connected to how much local news there is. And if you're feeling ineffective and alienated, then you're also going to feel nihilistic and not bother to vote. It is so true that the whole um, political debate has become so nationalized, right? Like, yeah, it's like people are talking about these national issues, which a lot of times are these abstract issues right. that are not necessarily um are going to affect your day to day. It's more like, this is how I identify with this side. I identify with that side. Right. It's more what tribe are you in? And, and one other effect of that is I think that when you're dealing with national issues, it's easier to demonize the, your opponents. It's easier to view them as cartoon characters because they're abstract. They're far away. They're in that community across the country that's doing crazy things. Um, and it's not like local news isn't controversial. There's also, I mean, local news can be really controversial, 
But it's in a different sort because, first of all, you're seeing the person face to face. And that same person who you might be disagreeing with about the, you know, the school board thing may be you may be seeing them at the soccer match that Sunday or or you may be agreeing with them on a different issue because the issues don't fall on left, right, you know, MAGA, non-MAGA, you know, spectrum. So it tends to be, it can still be very controversial, but I think it tends to be, you're a little less likely to completely dehumanize your opponent and a little less likely to uh, therefore become quite as vicious and polarized. So it's more kind of something that you actually both care about and you all kind of want your city to do be, do better. You want your politicians to do better. You can all agree on that. Filling potholes is not really a Democratic or Republican issue. And a lot of the issues that come up locally just kind of split along different lines than they would nationally. And I think often it's true that like people know that even you're, the person who's disagreeing with you, they're doing it because they care about the community. Whereas on the national level, it's like you're the enemy. You know, the people who disagree with you hate your hate you, and they hate your country. And they, you know, it's not like people we we all you know want the same thing or the best for the country. Like that seems to be gone. Like now, it's it's the people on the other side of this you know, are trying to destroy the country. Maybe you could like really quickly before we move on, sort of how did it get so bad in terms of the business model? People always say, oh, they simplify and say like Craigslist came and destroyed local newspapers because they didn't have classifies. Was it that simple or what were all that was the, the first, that was That was kind of the first step, but even stepping back, the internet did break the local news business model because the way I like to think about it is in the olden days, which isn't that long, 15 years ago, um, advertisers supported local news because the way to reach your customer was to be next to content, to local content. And now if, if you're an advertiser, you can reach your customer all sorts of other ways. So initially, yeah, Craigslist was like the first example, but it wasn't just Craigslist. That early days of the internet, it was like monster.com took away the job ads, you know, uh, auto trader took away the car ads, you know, LinkedIn took a little by little, each part of the business, the ad model of a newspaper got kind of picked off by different parts of the internet. And then Facebook and Google came along and just accelerated basically the same phenomenon that basically all these small businesses that used to not small, all these local businesses that used to advertise in papers now don't like that's just the heart of why the collapse. And this has led to an 81 percent drop in advertising revenue for local newspapers, 81 percent in a, in a in like less than two decades. And they started essentially people call it a monopoly right on distribution. They were the only way you could really get in touch with that many people was through newspaper or TV on local uh, stations. So they almost had a monopoly on it that in uh, that supported quality journalism in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. And that's why I don't, I don't know. I, I don't tend to be, you know, moralistic about the companies that came along, you know, Craigslist or whatever, like you could argue, well, the newspapers were using their monopoly status to charge way more than they should have been. And Craigslist broke the monopoly. And, you know, so I don't think of it necessarily as a, as a, you know, like the tobacco industry or something coming in and nefarious, but this is just the reality. That this, that this new world, the internet, it had all these great advantages, 
but this was the, this was a massive unintended consequence of the whole thing was the destruction of the business model for local news. Yeah, which is a good segue to the next segment. Pink Slime News. Remember when McDonald's got caught filling its hamburgers with pink slime to save money on real beef? That's what's happening in the news industry right now. Over 2,000 newspapers have shut down since 2004, but Americans are still hungry for news about the place they live. So to fill the vacuum, more than 1,000 faux news sites masquerading as local news have popped up, funded mostly by conservative think tanks and a few liberal ones, along with PR firms and whoever wants to influence you. I got beef with these pink slime websites. You should too. Stay tuned. Talk to us about how big this problem is and, and, and how we can prevent it. Yeah, so it's the, the vacuums that we talked about when the collapse created these vacuums. One of the forces that is flooding the vacuum are these pink slime websites. And pink slime is kind of a little bit of a catch-all phrase for a few different types of unfortunate actors. So you have political partisan ones, and they're basically saying, ooh, there's no local newspapers here. We can pretend to be a local newspaper and we'll be more credible and it'll have all sorts of local news in it. But mysteriously, the articles about the member of Congress will always be positive about the member of Congress. And it looks very much like everything else is actually straight. And, you know, so that's one kind of thing. And as you said, it's political money. So far, it's more conservative but there's definitely some that's progressive, and I my guess is the progressives are going to try to catch up. So that's one group. Then you have this group that's like the, the, you mentioned the PR firms. It's sort of pay for play, and this is maybe non ideological, but kind of nefarious in its own way, which is like you own a hotel, you pay the local news site to write a, lo- a great article about the hotel. And it runs, but it's not list. It's not labeled as an advertisement. It's it looks like an article. It just looks like the newspaper happened to do an objective story about how this is an awesome hotel, and it's not disclosed that they paid for it. It's really an ad, but it's not disclosed as being an ad. So that's like the second group is, or I think pay for play is kind of the way I think of it. Is these is it's driven by kind of non-disclosed ad money. And those are like the two big buckets of these pink slime sites. Yeah. And so there's these two buckets. Uh, how is there any ways that we can fix it? On one level, if you go back to the vacuum metaphor, uh, is we have to fill the vacuums with actual journalism and journalists. I think that's the most important thing is to just get more local journalists out there. And there's lots of ways of doing that. There's lots of different formats for websites and public radio stations and for-profits and non-profits. But the bottom line is more local reporters. And so the program that I run is called Report for America. And that's what that's what our mission is, is to get more reporters out there. We have 315 reporters that we're putting in the field, embedding into local newsrooms of various sorts. It's kind of like a Teach for America for journalists sort of little based on AmeriCorps and Peace Corps and stuff like that. And we have these great public service spirited journalists that we put in newsrooms, then we pay half the salary and the newsroom pays the other half and then gets support from the community, from donations from the community 
to hmm. support it. And you, you that you get a grant from the government, like the Peace Corps, or you? No, actually, that's that's donors. a great. It's all private in our case, so it's all okay. What, so our national money, the part that we're putting in, comes from foundations and donors, and the Knight Foundation, Robert Wood Johnson, basically, and then individual donors, and then we we put that into the local system through subsidizing the salary of a local of a local reporter. And, and then working with that newsroom to try to become more sustainable in part by developing a philanthropic arm to their, to their organization. And that's the heart of Report for America. There's other interesting groups out there that have popped up just in the last few years that are doing peace. And so there's a, a very exciting world actually of new sort of social entrepreneurs that are trying to fix this uh, system. Let's talk and get deep about what are the things that like normal Americans can do to help? Well, I think three things. One is uh, subscribe to a local something, you know, local newspaper, or if it's a nonprofit, donate uh, to it. That's the most important thing. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to have good community journalism if the community doesn't support it. And, you know, in a way, we all got used to kind of having a free ride on this because advertisers were basically paying for it all. And we kind of, that's not true anymore. And we actually are going to have to, you know, pay. And, it, and it's not that much money when you think about how much it costs for a subscription compared to how much you pay for coffee. And there is now this philanthropic sector with it where people are doing donations. So if you have the resources, donate also to nonprofit news organizations or places like Report for America or local versions of that. And then I think the third thing, which is a little less well-developed, but it's coming, is public policy. Like there are some things that ought that can be done in uh, public, public policy ways and people can support that. People can, you know, communicate with their members of Congress saying, this is an important issue. We need to save local news if we're going to save democracy and if we're going to deal with issues like healthcare and climate change, stuff like that. And so it's it's like a it's honestly sort of in the early stages of people getting their hands around what kind of public policy things could you do that wouldn't make it worse and wouldn't have First Amendment problems, things like that. But there are some things you could do. I'll give you one example. There's a bill called the Local Journalism Sustainability Act. And it provide, it's a really clever bill. It's, it provides a tax credit to consumers to help them buy subscriptions. So it essentially underwrites your subscription or a donation. It provides a tax credit to small businesses in a community that advertise in a, in a local news something. And it provides a tax credit to local publishers to uh, hire or retain journalists. And it's pretty clever because it doesn't involve a government agency sitting there deciding to give out grants in some subjective way based on articles they like. It's it's more universal than that. It's more objective factors. And an actual version of part of that was in the Build Back Better bill. It almost passed. And it might still pass if they ever get around to doing like a mini version that they're always talking about doing. It could be in that. And so we're working. My, so my second hat, as you mentioned, is something called the Rebuild Local News Coalition, which pulled together all these different groups that, of big, little, nonprofit, for-profit, labor, publishers, unions, to try to get a couple things that can really help uh, with that. 
And that's like you're sort of uh, acting as sort of a lobbying, representing those groups uh, to try to enact policies. Yeah. Yeah. And coordinating, you know, getting they're also doing their own thing. But we kind of it, it, it's a way of coordinating. We do our own lobbying and, and advocacy and we sort of help coordinate all these other groups and get everyone sort of working in the same direction, focused on the same thing. So we have more impact. So do you think the future of uh, quality real journalism is nonprofit? I think nonprofit will play a much bigger role than, than it has in the past, but I think it could be a bunch of different models. Like I'll give you an example, report for America. We are a nonprofit, but we actually place journalists in both for-profit and nonprofit organizations. So, and the for-profits, it's kind of interesting to see how that works because it's like a nonprofit, you know, injection through this person who's working in a for-profit newsroom. And it basically kind of creates this hybrid, but it works really well. Like it ends up that they're doing these beats that they weren't doing before covering certain communities that had never been covered well before or topics. And that's kind of an interesting model that makes me think you could have some versions where you've got the website that is doing restaurant, you know, basically has creamed off the parts of the local the business that work, like restaurant things that you can get advertised for that aren't that hard. And then the philanthropic sector is kind of underwriting the more labor intensive um, accountability beats. Like you could, I could see some, some combos like that. And then in other places, yeah, there's some really cool, pure nonprofit things. In other places you have the, the kind of billionaire owner model. Um, that works sometimes if you have, if you've got a good billionaire. Yeah. You're just betting that the billionaire is good. Yeah. It's not really where you want to hang your whole democracy on, but, but, uh, but there are definitely cases like at Minneapolis and Boston and Washington post, weirdly enough, um, are cases where the benevolent billionaire has remained relatively benevolent and those can, you know, those can work out well too. I feel like local news has been declining for all this time, my whole life. And uh, everyone's always just like, eh, I don't know, business model. And no one ever comes up with a solution. So I feel yeah. like there's no real push for like telling philanthropists they need to put their largesse into local news. There's gun violence, climate change, a lot of these big issues. It feels like there's no real movement or push. I totally agree. I, I, I just, it drives me crazy as I think you're right. I mean, there's exceptions. There's a half a dozen foundations that are doing amazing work in this space. So what I'm about to say doesn't apply to them. I still very agree. But I'll give you an example. I just saw a list of uh, the top 100 grants from foundations, democracy funders. These are things that are trying to strengthen democracy, right? So already you've narrowed it down to just democracy. One, only one of the 100 was for a local news project. So that means the democracy funders are not even thinking that journalism is important for democracy. Like, yeah. you know, so that's like, oh, my God. Like, if we're not it's a actually- yeah, yeah, they're focusing so you're on totally the short-term right. wins, on the short-term election. Yeah, and it's kind of ironic. You you work on having structurally sound elections, but then no one's voting because no one knows who the candidates are. And I feel like there's an issue, too, because a lot of people, it's like I think that a lot of people are like, 
uh, I, I, local news was always about, you know, if it bleeds, it leads anyway. So they're like, why I should support that. But like the idea is, I think if we can reimagine local news and actually create a nonprofit of local news, then you can actually create a case study where it's like, this is what you're paying for. You're not paying for like yes. the cat was lost in the tree, like people envision of the old local news. Right. Or in the worst case scenario that we saw, it was like all blacks are criminals. Like all black people are criminals, right? So you're totally right that we can't, we don't want to romanticize the golden age of local news because, you know, there were lots of cases where, you know, local news was either not really covering our community or covering them destructively, you know, in some cases. So you're absolutely, it's a really important point that as we try to, you know, fill the void, we need to reimagine local news also to make it much more inclusive and better. And I do think that having a much bigger role for the nonprofit model and sector can be a very positive thing for that reason, because you are looking at it that way. Like if it bleeds, it leads, doesn't work. If you're trying to make a case to donors and by donors, I don't just mean rich people like donors can be, you know, a $10 donation from someone in the community, but it's kind of the same thing. Like they're not going to give for it bleeds, it leads either. They want, they're going to give their $10 if they feel like you're covering the schools better. And so having that little extra philanthropic uh, motivation to it, I think can pull the system in, in a better direction. Maybe you could even fund beats like the education beat, you know, or fun. Well, that's like the way the, that's actually, you know, interestingly, that's the way we do it with Report for America. It's all beat based. And what we find is that when they then go out to like pit, pitch the community, help us support this Report for America position, they do it exactly the way you just said. Like it's not abstract safe democracy. It's we have a we have someone covering the schools now. Here is here she is. Here are the pieces she's done. Here are the pieces that literally would not have happened about your schools if we didn't do this. So help support us. And that's a much more compelling pitch than general help us, the news organization, we're sad, we don't have enough money, or or even the more abstract help save democracy, which is a little bit it's true, but kind of vague because it goes back to that national discussion where it's like uh like i hate mainstream media i hate this and people say the media and it means so many different things most of the time they're talking about tv news i don't like cnn fox nbc you know but they're not they're talking about cable tv they're talking about a particular opinion guy and they're not really talking about what so it's the conversation just gets derailed when actually they do want someone, almost everyone wants someone covering the schools if you have kids or covering, you know, certain issues that you care about. Yeah, that's a great point. And people really do, if you, if you get them to pause for a second, people really do make a distinction in their minds. I mean, regular people between national and local, but it usually just gets all mixed together. Steve, I commend you for all the work that you're doing. And if you're watching this and you want to give to Report for America or uh, reach out to the Rebuild Local News Coalition or find Steve on Twitter, thanks so much for joining us, Steve. And uh, to everyone else, I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. 
Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, we also are a video podcast where you can see extra memes, charts, visuals about the segments. So you can find that on YouTube or subscribe to our Substack newsletter for exclusive updates. And thank you so much for listening. See you next week.